0: Okay, well hello and welcome to In the World, the podcast ministry of North Cincy Student Ministries. My name's Eric, and I am going to once again be walking us through a devotion in the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through chapter 5, verse 6. And this is a part of our series that we've been doing in the book of James. So if you want to access more of those uh, talks and devotionals, You can just uh, uh, rewind a little bit and look back over some of our past podcasts to do just that. But this time we're going to look at James' insights on what I'm calling eternal wisdom for today. How does our, answering the question, how does our reality that God is an eternal God, that He exists forever and He existed forever and that He created us in His image, to be eternal beings that will exist forever. We have a starting point. God doesn't. That's what's different uh, when it comes to that understanding of the eternality of God and the eternality of man. But but how does the reality that we will be around forever uh, influence how we live today? So let's uh, look at verses 4, 13 through 5, 6, and uh, I will begin now. Then I'll pray and then we'll dive in. Come now, you who say... So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid Up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father thank you for this word to us on just how in light of in the reality that you are eternal God who uh, calls us to yourself through Christ and if we've responded to him in trust we are living as eternal beings forever. Just how does that reality inform how we live today specifically with how we relate to our stuff? So Father, thank you for this wisdom, thank you for this instruction, thank you that you are a God that cares about us and cares about the gifts that you give us and that we would use them and steward them well. So help us to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well years ago, uh, this was in the mid-2000s, a movie came out that I'm not going to tell you the title of because I actually don't want you to go watch it. It's not the best, uh, most appropriate uh, of movies, we'll say. But it was a movie that was this uh, sci-fi type of movie, and it uh, existed in a future time. And it doesn't say like 100 years from now or 50 years from now or something. It was just in the future. And the whole idea of the movie is that mankind could no longer have children. That the last person to be born on earth was born, and that the people that were living on the earth at the time was literally the last generation of man the last generation of mankind. And it was a really, really sad movie, uh, but it depicted an illustration of what would happen if we lived by the code, the survival of the fittest. Uh, You had all these people that were uh, tried to acquire because because they're the last people on earth and, and they wanted to live as long as they could and they wanted to have the riches of this earth. So you had all these people that tried to acquire whatever they could and through acquiring whatever they could, like you know, uh, the the art, um, food, stuff, cars, whatever it may be, uh, they they wanted to. If if this was their 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 final life and, and there was nothing to pass on, they wanted to acquire as much comfort as they could and just ride out their days. So there were people that were anxious to have and anxious to keep. And then there was this this uh, this kind of this anarchist group of people who were just like, yeah, this is it. So I'm just going to go crazy. I'm going to survive, I'm going to take, and they just lived this, this really um, destructive life and they were, um, you know, they would kill for food, they, would, they just lived as, um, uh, as they, they, their, their days were, were numbered and that was it, and they survived as long as they could by taking, and then there was this other group of people that were just withdrawn, they just, you know, they just they grew uh, drugs, and they just uh, wrote out their days as just withdrawn life and that the end is the end and there's nothing we can do about it, so we might as well just forget. Forget that all this exists and all this happened, so they were um, withdrawn and they often would use drugs as a means to numb their pain. So you have these three types of people in a world where that, that were children, were no more in the last generation of people on earth. These people that were just, uh, they tried to acquire as much as they could to be, be lost in their comforts so that they, they could just uh, forget the reality that, that, that mankind was ending. You had people who were violent, and they would kill to eat and to, to have and to survive. And you had people who were withdrawn. And I tell you that because when it comes to life, we, through the scriptures, know that this is not the only life we live In Christ, you see Christ, we were getting ready to celebrate Easter in a few weeks, right? We have the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus was the Son of God who lived the perfect life, who died on the cross, who conquered the grave and literally rose to life. And He promises those who trust in Him and trust His work, even though that they die, they shall rise again, that there is life beyond this life, that that the promise of eternal life is sure. And because of that, we have an eternal perspective that influences our life today, that, that that the Christian life offers a fourth way, so to speak. It doesn't offer a life that is violent or destructive. It does not offer a life that is withdrawn and apathetic. And it does not offer a life that is cushy and comfortable. Rather, it offers a life that is forever. And because of our forever, because of the victory that we have over the grave that Christ has accomplished for us, because God is an eternal God, he informs us on how we are to live eternal lives today, and that these this eternal life today is a very present, and it is a very active life where God gives us stuff, that he, he blesses us with gifts, talents, abilities, with things, possessions, riches, whatever you want to call it, to, to use in a particular way for a particular reason, to display that he is God and to seek the good of others but also to enjoy the life that he has given us there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God gives us and this is what this is this is kind of the under this is the foundation that James is writing to us with this this passage he he is addressing the vanity of a self-indulgent life. He is, he is addressing the vanity and the reality that, that we are, the vanity of living life as though we are the center of our own stories and, and, and using our stuff that we have to display that. He's addressing that vanity, rather, and he is inviting us to live wise lives where we use the good things, whether that be riches or possessions or whatever, the things that God gives us for his glory for the good of others and also our own joy. So that's the big idea: is that God is eternal, and because God is eternal, His His eternality that 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 He gives us in light of the work of Christ, we are eternal, and He gives us wisdom, skill in the art of godly living on how we are to live that reality today, as it relates to our relationship with our stuff, our relationship with God influences how we treat people and also how we treat our things. So God is eternal and because God is eternal we see in that first part that is all the rest of chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 because God is eternal he gives us an eternal perspective that um, helps us to understand how our daily choices reflect this reality and then as it closes the second point verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 because God is eternal he gives us uh, uh, an eternal treasure uh, that that we are to live in such a way that treasures Him, and not the things that He gives us. So let's look back at verse four. Uh, I'm sorry, thirteen. At this eternal perspective that God gives us. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. What's going on here? Well, James begins by addressing traveling merchants. And we don't know if he's literally addressing traveling merchants. I don't think he does this literally because he never does this in the rest of James. But he may be using traveling merchants as an illustration of of how we are to live. So remember that James is ministering to Jews in Jerusalem, which was a small piece of land in between a big sea and a big desert. And therefore, it was a place with tons of merchants, people that were just passing through, because it served as a land bridge to Asia Minor into Egypt or northern Africa. And it begins this passage with a rebuke to arrogant merchants, or using the arrogant merchants as an illustration, who use and think of their life and think of each day as, as, a, as a way to get as much money as they possibly can. He was reminding us that there is more to life than just business and profit not that these things are evil in themselves, but that they can often be an evil chief pursuit of those who fail to recognize that God is eternal and that the decisions we make today impact us and others for eternity. What James is trying to remind us is that there is more than our daily bread. That God does give us daily bread and we are to give thanks for that daily bread and use it for our own joy, nourishment, and the, and the good of others around us. But the, the, the mere the pursuit of the acquiring of these things is a dangerous life. And then in verse 14, he goes on to say, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. Here in this passage, James, as one commentator says, puts his finger on an uncomfortable truth that we don't know what the future holds. We have no idea. As Christians, we know what will be in a million years and where we will be in a million years. That's in God's hands, and He has told us about the promise of heaven and, and for those who are in Christ, what, what how we get there right, by trusting in Him. But we literally won't know what happens tomorrow. James is reminding us that we are not in control. He's reminding us that we are not at the center of our own stories, but that God is, and that this perspective helps shape how we are to navigate the world that we live in, and how we are to live our life each day. And then, in verse 15, he continues by saying this. He kind of gives a solution for, 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 for those who um, realize that 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 we are that the, our life on this earth is temporary. He says, "For you ought to say instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do and do this or that." Uh, verse 15 really is the solution given to the problem in verse 14. Our lives are a mist. Literally, we are here one moment, then God the next, and this is sobering. Therefore, in light of this, we must make choices that reflect, reflect the reality that God is at the center of our lives and that God is at the center of all human history. James is giving us an eternal perspective that shapes our todays. God is eternal. He has made a place for us in Christ beyond this life. And we are to make choices, daily choices, that reflect that. There is more that we can get just in each day. We are to make choices in light of eternity. We are to be a people who live as Jesus taught us to pray, who live in light of the reality that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that our, 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 our cheap pursuit is, is, is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not uh, let me get what I can today, because today is the only day. No, it's it's that our eternal perspective informs our today. And then in verse sixteen it says, "As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil." So what's this verse sixteen? Right. So verse sixteen is is um, in contrast to verse six, verse fifteen. To boast in the Lord is to live in such a way that glorifies God with our actions, making much of Him and not ourselves. To live in such a way that promotes self is the arrogant life. That's what he's talking about there in verse 16. God opposes the proud because the proud oppose God. There is no room for arrogance in godly living, therefore to live with an eternal perspective. Um, Our boast must be truly found in God and not in ourselves or what we can acquire, but our boast and our glory is found in what the Lord gives us. And then verse 17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is to sin. And and, and to sin is to go against what we have been told by God on how we are to live flourishing lives in relationship to him, ourselves, and others. God gives us instruction on how we are to love him and love other people. And when we don't do that, when we choose not to live in accordance to God's word, it's sin. Therefore, James tells us, To live a centered life on the temporary impulses of each day is not to live a life centered on God in relationship to Him and His eternality. And to live in that way is to live a life of sin that is separate from God, not with God. James is rebuking those who claim that God exists but don't live in light of that reality. So this, this, this first part, because God is eternal, He gives us an eternal perspective that informs how we are to live today. It informs how we are to, to spend each day and what we are to pursue as our chief pursuit each, pursuit each day, which is God himself. So the, so the question that this passage is asking us in this first half is, is, how do my daily choices reflect the eternal God that I believe in? Do you believe in God, that he is eternal? That he, he has created a place for you, with him forever, if so, how is that reality influencing how you how you live each day? If you make mistakes, do you know that you know that life is bigger than your mistakes? That tomorrow will come. There is eternity. Things will be okay. If other people hurt you, do you realize that time heals? That that, that there, are, there is an opportunity because of the forgiveness that you have in Christ. God then equips you for others. Do you, do, you, do you see the, the, the long obedience in the same direction that to walk with God is to take each day and, and make each day holy and take each step as a step of obedience, trusting Him more fully and walking with Him more intimately? Do you see life as a marathon? Or do you, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you entrapped by the impulses of each day? Are you an impulsive merchant trying to do everything you can with the moment or do you really see that God has, is writing a story for you where He is at the center, but you are a chief player and what it means to, to use the gifts that God gives you, the things that God gives you, the possessions that God gives you to play a major role in what it means to glorify Him and enjoy Him and seek the good of others. How do your daily choices reflect the God that you believe in? God is eternal and He gives you an eternal perspective. How do your choices Influence, or, or not influence, but how do your choices prove that, show that? And then lastly, God or James confronts us through verses 1 through 6 that not only do we have an eternal perspective, but God wants us to, to live in such a way where He is our treasure, our eternal treasure. Look with me in verse 1 of chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You know, James now moves on from addressing those who are so concerned with orienting their days around making a profit to those who have now already acquired that profit. James now moves on to addressing the rich. And for James, it is not wealth that is the issue, but rather what is done and what is not done with that wealth, as one commentator so helpfully puts it. As established back in chapter 2, there is tons of tension between the rich and the poor, as it relates to those who were the first recipients of James's letter. The letter of James as a whole is a call for the church to live in unity. And the church back then as well as today was a diverse group of people that not only had diversity and you know, generational diversity and so on, but also economic diversity. And for the church to love itself well, it must know how to relate among itself with its different economic diverse, diversity, rich and poor and in between. The rich must know how to relate with the poor and so on. And James gives wisdom to the rich by giving them a warning. He is saying to them that if their possessions are their treasure above God, then this means that their love of their stuff, that they love their stuff more than God. This means that they love the gifts of God that God has given them above the giver God of those gifts. And if this is true, then there is a greater judgment coming. Upon them that will cause them to weep and to howl. And this language seems to mean that James is is not addressing the rich who use their possessions to display God's glory. Rather, this is language that seems to mean that James is addressing those who are rich who do not acknowledge God as the giver of those gifts, which means that their hearts are off, that they may be unbelievers, and that James has more to say to them about, about the wealth that they have acquired. That it will end, that it will, but that the heart is the most important thing. And what the heart treasures, a heart that treasures God, is, is, what, a, what, a, is what a rich person truly is. And then in verse 2 and 3 it says this, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, oh, I'm sorry, you have laid, um, you have laid up... Yourselves treasure in the last days, and here, so here, James is reminding us of the fragility of not only ourselves but of our stuff. Everything that God has created was designed to be used in this life, nothing is eternal, our stuff is not ultimate. As uh, John Calvin, an old pastor, theologian, etc., says, God has not appointed gold for rust nor garments for moss, but on the contrary, He has designed them as aids and helps to the human life. And everything we have has in, is, is, is that we have acquired is fleeting, just like we are. Those who store up treasures for themselves will always be fighting the battle to keep what they have. And because of this, often will never experience the true joy of having that is found in those who treasure God above the treasures that God gives. Because God is the good gift giver of all our good gifts. Then as we, we see in verses 4, James not only just addresses the reality that those who store up for themselves treasures on earth, that this stuff isn't eternal, that it won't last, it won't keep. But it also addresses those who cultivate wealth through the injustice and exploitation of others, which is often the case, not always, but often the case of those who are so concerned with themselves and have themselves at the center of their life, they will often exploit others to make themselves better. So verse 4 says this, Behold the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud or crying out against you, and the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. James not only addresses the fragility of the stuff we acquire, but he also gives warning to the rich who have acquired their possessions through injustice, defined as the laying of heavy burdens upon others. God's concern is for the poor and the oppressed, and he will bring justice to those who exploit the poor and the oppressed to build up for themselves treasures on earth. Again, the crime here is not having wealth. Rather, it is the acquiring of wealth through the exploitation of others. There's a a huge warning here that God has for those who who use others for their own personal gain and wealth. And then verse 5 it says, You have lived on earth, 5 and 6, You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. As James finishes about uh, addressing injustice, he now addresses extravagance. He's warning us about the destructive life of self-indulgence. James is not saying that we are unable to enjoy the good gifts of God. Rather, he is warning us by telling us that the extravagant life is not the good life. James is addressing the ungodly attitudes that sees ourselves, as I've been saying, as the center of our own lives and therefore uses resources to declare that reality. Again, we are not the center of our own lives. And the righteous man or woman will seek to live in such a way where, the, where God is at the center of their lives and will use the things that they have to display the reality that God is king and not us. So the, the question that we ask ourselves after we've been, James has helped us see that, that, that God is an eternal and that He is not just the, an eternal perspective that, that helps us, informs us in how we are to live. But he's he's an eternal treasure that we acquire, that we that we that we pursue. So so what is so so what do we, how do we live now in light of this? Well, the question that I have for you is: How do you use the things that you have to make God's name great and not your own? Whether that be the smallest of things or the biggest of things, how are you using the gifts of God to declare the goodness of the good of the gift giver? Uh, CT Stud and uh, has this great quote. It says, This one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, going back to that opening illustration, we really aren't a people, right? We don't live uh, as today is our last day. We, we have an eternal perspective. We have an eternal treasure that informs how we live today. Because of that, we are not an apathetic or drawn people. We are not called to be a violent people who take and exploit others. Our own uh, personal gain. We're not called a people to just acquire for the sake of acquiring to live comfortable lives, but rather we are a people who are given resources, riches, gifts, talents, abilities. To, to, to help other people to glorify God and to genuinely enjoy as we enjoy the giver of these good gifts. This one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. The encouragement that we have from James here in James four thirteen through five six is to live in such a way that this that declares to a watching world that Christ is enough. Because he because he is enough. Yeah, let me pray for us and I'll be done. Father, thank you for this word to us. Help us to live as we are told here, to be a people who live uh, not just for today, but but our our eternal life in Christ informs our daily life. Help us to not die. Help us to die to the vanity of self-indulgence. Help us to live in, in such a way that declares your goodness, um, and and that we can be free to genuinely genuinely enjoy the days you give us. In Jesus' name, Amen.